Okay. So Mary McCartney is um, this incredible figure. Um, I would say in my own process with this book, uh, she would be the figure who has impacted me more than anyone else, more than anyone else. You know, I, I just feel like something really happened to me writing this book where I didn't, I honestly did not have a single thought that this book would have anything to do with Julia or Mary. That was not on my mind for a second. And then when I got into this project and I did all the research and I studied the astrology and their charts and how everything ties in, um, I feel a sense of almost um, allegiance to them. Um, not necessarily responsibility, but care. 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 And my understanding is that we all have, call it what you will, spirit guides, angels, you know, whatever you want to call them. We're in connection with a whole other dimension or dimensions that we're not aware of. And so um, how they assist us and help us and how they collaborate with us, I don't know. I don't know all the mechanisms of it, but I sense that that's real. Um, I've had experiences uh, with others that have illuminated some of this for me. And, um, and this is the next frontier of our collective evolution is to have more of a relationship and a connection with other dimensions, with other dimensions, dimensions. Turn on your earbuds, relax and listen to the spiritual dimension of the Beatles. All right, so Eric, hi. Hi, Glenn. Hi. I've got I've got two songs that I want to ask you some questions about, and then I th I think I have an idea of where the the direction will go of the conversation. But last week, I was listening to I just have this mix this playlist of all Beatles songs, and I put it on shuffle every once in a while. I never know what's going to come up. It's fun, and uh, so there were two songs that came up, and I want to bring up the first one, and I want to ask you where this fits in the arc of awakening and in, in your whole narrative structure of the spiritual dimension of the Beatles, because I had an interpretation of this song and I'm not saying that th this is a George song. I'm not saying that this is something that George intended, but it's kind of what it meant to me having worked with you over the last, however many months we've been doing this. So the song is from help and it's, I need you. You don't realize how much I need you. And so I think where that I think where that is in the ascension phase is it's when they're getting out of the individuation phase, they're starting to go into the ascension phase. So so themes of like separate separateness would be morphing into themes of of unity, like immature kind of love into a more mature kind of love. You would expect to see those kinds of things from from what I understand from what we've talked about. Okay, so that song is on the help album. And that's in the personality reconciliation phase. Reconciliation, okay. So here's the way that I understand it, is that um, George wrote Don't Bother Me mm. as his first song, and that was on With the Beatles. And then he didn't write anything on the next few albums. And he was marginalized, uh, basically, um, 
didn't get too much airtime yeah. on, on a few albums there. Uh, Hard Day's Night is a John-dominated album. Uh, Beatles for Sale. Um, they did quickly, and there's a lot of covers on that. And George does sing on Beatles for Sale, but he didn't write anything. And so he wanted to get back into writing. So he has two songs on the Help album. So that was his return to writing. And Help is the fifth album. So here he is with his second song is on the fifth album. Yeah. So he wasn't very prolific in the early Beatles as a writer. So um, the way that I see it is there shows a lot of growth. Don't Bother Me is reflective of his more or less spiritual childhood, the need to be left alone, protection, anonymity, you know, and I write in the book, Don't Bother Me is not the most inviting of messages. I've got no time for you right now. Don't bother me. Yeah, right. <laughs> but then he shifts. I need you. Mm-hmm. Very different flavor than Don't Bother Me. Yeah. So I talk about that song as George is peering out of his hiding place. Yeah. And he's becoming a lot more participatory, visible. And it was around this time that he also became aware that what he got himself involved with was forever going to change his life. He's going to be famous whether he likes it or not. And in 1965, uh, when the Help album came out, um, George was also uh, agreeing more or less uh, to be famous, to participate, to take this seriously, to write, to move to the next level um, to not be in the backseat of John and Paul. And then his productivity greatly uh, took off um, after that. And he became much more prolific in uh, 1966. Yeah. And, and, and so many of the songs that he would go on to write had to do with spiritual themes and, and especially you know, like my sweet lord. My sweet lord. Mm. <laughs> you know, like he, he, a lot of songs he's singing to God or about God. And and what was that song on the White Album? Long, long, long. It's been a long, long, long time. Yes. That was like a love song to God. Was that 1967, 68 that he wrote that? So, so at some point, and, and, and I don't know where this song, I Need You, fits on the Ark of Awakening. You know, there was also that midway up the Ark of Awakening. What, what is it that you're calling it? The, uh, line of inspiration. It's above that. The line of inspiration. So so this is is above uh, the line of inspiration. Yeah. Uh, this I, is this is um, towards the the first peak, which is in later sixty five, okay, and sixty six. So this is you know getting up there. Um, but I would say that Paul's um, contribution on the Help album uh, were the most indicative of 
crossing the line that Paul's big intuitive breakthrough was on the help album. Yeah. And yesterday, uh, tell me what you see. And I've just seen a face. Those three songs, um, have a real, real central place. Um, and to me, those are, that's the standout kind of spiritual work on, on, on the help album. Um, I don't think George's I need you is really that significant. Um, on that album, to be honest. Well, you are entitled to your opinion there, Eric. <laughs> I've got to tell you what, because I asked myself this question and it was really informed by um, long, long, long on the white album that it's this, this love song to God. And, and I, I also, I, I wrote a song about 10 years ago called Make Believe that was, it was kind of like my love song to God. You feel so far away. It's like I never knew And when I called your name, where were you? And it was basically like saying, I can't really believe in a God anymore unless I, I like, I feel like I'm pretending. I, I feel like I'm just making it up, but I'm so uncomfortable if I don't, I'll just go ahead and keep making, making it, you know, like that was, that was basically what my song was, was doing and saying. And so I started wondering as I was listening to the lyrics on this, if, George was maybe not totally conscious, maybe not totally aware of that divinity that with, is within him that's trying to send him messages through this. But, but what if this song, if you think about it from the perspective of God singing it, <laughs> so the, the lyric is, you don't realize how much I need you. You don't realize how much I need you. I love you all the time and never leave you. Love you all the time and never leave you. Please come on back to me. I'm lonely as can be. I need you. Please come on back to me. I'm lonely as can be. I need you. Uh, it kind of falls apart on this next one. Like you said, you had a thing or two to tell me. How was I to know you would upset me? Like, I don't quite know how to fit that into the whole paradigm here. Well... But let, let, let me let me let me finish my thing here because I like I I again and and this is more about the way that I am looking at Beatles music now as a result of you, Eric. Like whether this is true, whether this is really what George Harrison was intending, or anything from beyond the veil or not, it reflects the way that I see things now and and has that kind of meaning for me. That this is this is kind of God saying, yeah, I I know there's this illusion of separation that I as source energy have created for myself and you, George Harrison, who are an aspect of me that you see yourself as being separate. And you've probably been burned by a lot of the religious stuff that you've seen, not only in this life, but in other lives. So you're hesitant to embrace this idea of oneness with me. And, and so like God would be saying, I didn't realize as I looked in your eyes, you told me that you don't want my loving anymore. That's when it hurt me and feeling like this, I just can't go on anymore. Please remember how I feel about you. Please remember how I feel about you. I could never really live without you. I could never really live without you because you're a part of me. You're, you're, you're giving me the experience that I wouldn't know what it's like to be George Harrison if it wasn't for George Harrison as this aspect of one divinity godness. So come on back and see just what you mean to me. I need you. I need you. Oh, I need you. And it was like, 
I loved interpreting it that way. So I just wanted to say thank you, Eric. Well, that's <laughs> awesome because, you know, so much of um, the way that I see it and write about is that there is a dual meaning going on um, everywhere, specifically the romantic focus in the early years um, is a disguise in my view. It's a transference yeah. for the deeper um, love and loss, all the crying, all the loss, all the feeling blue that stems from their maternal loss issues, John and Paul, and that gets projected onto uh, romantic settings. Yeah. And that song, I Need You, is most classically a romantic song, but you're looking at it as more of a spiritual song, which is the same idea yeah. of dual meanings, at different dimensions going on. And I agree with you. And George did write along those lines, as you mentioned. Um, long, 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 for example, is about that. Uh, Within You, Without You yeah. has elements of that. Love You Too. Yeah has elements of that on Revolver, and you can make that conclusion is that there are those two dimensions. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it makes sense, you know, when, when you use that seed, you know, or the acorn to a tree analogy that they're growing from a place of, you know, youth, there's just a limited pool of experience when it comes to expressing ideas of love and you get that through your, you know, your, your family relationships like John and Paul with their mothers, you get that through romantic, you know, little teenage romantic things. And then that starts to change and morph and grow as they get older and learn how complex the world is, especially in the situation that they, they were in everything that was coming at them and they, they mature along this, this process. So yeah, that kind of fits to me. Yeah, but I think it is, um, you know, like I said, indicative of George coming out of hiding. Yeah. And after that moment, he was a lot more um, vocal uh, as a writer, as a, um, you know, as a creative person, what he brought in with, um, with his music. Uh, he was more or less, you know, secondary. Yeah. Uh, he was in the backseat up, up until 1965. Um, and then he began to claim his power. And then, in my view, not only did he claim his power, but he went beyond John yeah. and Paul in, in certain ways. Well, it, if, 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 you, if you really can't interpret this song the way that I'm interpreting it, please remember how I feel about you. I could never really live without you. So come on back and see just what you mean to me. I need you. I need you. I need you. And this this is God saying, don't take, don't, don't feel sorry for yourself, George, because you're getting short shifted. You've got value here and I need you to express me the way that you do it. So come on back, do this. And that, that he embraces it as he's going up on this ascension phase. And then you yes. can see what comes from it. I like that line. Come on back to me because George's yeah. chart is removal and disconnection. Mm is his karma. And then he's here to participate and come back into full embodiment and participation and illumination of spirit. And that's his work. Yeah. Um, and so I think it is striking that, you know, his first song, don't bother me, which yeah. I call a seed song is that all of them wrote songs that illustrate their uh, issues, their challenge, what I call the spiritual childhood. Um, those um, immature tendencies 
Yeah. And so that sets up, don't bother me to, I need you. Yeah. Cool. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. All right. Well, um, you know, last time we recorded, we talked a lot about Julia Lennon. And you had mentioned that Mary McCartney, you see like the role that she's playing as, as being even larger than what ways. Julia's was. And so this, this next, this next song, I think will tie into that um, conversation a little bit more because when, when I was listening back to that book uh, and I forget the tune in, I think Mark, uh-huh. Mark Lewis and, I, I skipped over the the Mary McCartney parts and was just focusing on the Julia Lennon parts. But there were there were times where I was getting some of that Mary McCartney story. And and one of the things that really jumped out to me was, and and I I heard this in that book, and then I heard it someplace immediately afterwards in an interview that Paul McCartney had done, maybe with Howard Stern, or it, it was a fairly recent <clears throat> interview that he did. That his first response when he heard that his mother had died was who's going to pick up the the financial slack you know what are we going to do without our money yeah what are we what who's going to pick up the lost income and that that was something that he like he really regretted and so i was uh, another song that came up on the on the rotation was yesterday yesterday all my troubles and you know we've, we've had the conversations about yesterday being something that was directly channeled, you know, coming from Mary McCartney to him. He, you know, we can talk about that a little bit more, but there's that line in it. Why she had to go, I don't know, she wouldn't say. I said something wrong, now I long for yesterday. I said something wrong, now I long for yesterday. And, and that, that I said something wrong, but it, it seemed like when I was hearing him talk about the, the regret that he had for that, who's going to pick up the money, you know, like that's not a very compassionate response when you find out that your mom died, that that would be a wound that he would be carrying, that he had said something wrong and now he longs for yesterday that might come out in this song where his mom's saying, you know, hey, it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I understand. And that he was able to find, I hope, some kind of reconciliation with this thing that he had done that he was kind of beating himself up about. Okay. So, so that I was, that a, was my thought. So I want to know what, yeah, go ahead. I have a lot to say on this. Right on. <laughs> okay. So um, first of all, I don't know if he's referring to that or not, Sure. Um, but here's what I do know is that Paul McCartney's chart, his karma, his basic work, is being an unrealized performer due to financial obligations. Mm -hmm. And so he um, is reconciling issues around money more than any of the others. And that's something that he kind of came into the, this incarnation with that is something that had held him back in previous incarnations. Specifically in his chart, he's got uh, a performance need and this is his Leo moon. And it's square, meaning friction, tension with Venus and Taurus, which has to do with financial things, especially how it's situated in the chart. And so having um, um, obligations 
impede his true uh, talent, uh, his desires, is what he was working through. So this appears several ways in Beatles lyrics. You have um, several songs that comment on financial things that are Paul songs. Can't Buy Me Love, Can't buy me love. is one. Uh, she's a woman. The whole connection between yeah. uh, materialism and romance. You never give me your money. You never give me your money. And then you never give me your money. He was yeah. a central player in all the financial stuff at the end of the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote a song, you know, mentioning money. Uh, as you just referenced. Um, and then Lady Madonna. Who finds the money when you pay the rent? Did you think that money was heaven sent? How are you going to make ends meet? Yeah. And Lady Madonna is basically the story of Mary McCartney um, having uh, responsibility in the home, taking care of children, and then the transformation into the muse, lying on the bed, listen to the music playing in your head. And the astrology for that song is mind-blowing. It, it basically shows the trajectory from domestic toil to um, a metaphysical presence, specifically connecting with the muse attunement of the Beatles. So it, it's just, it's all about her becoming the muse um, is Lady Madonna, but there's financial things that are in that song as well. And so Paul was working things out. Uh, around this and and so that's the underpinnings uh psychologically and spiritually there um so i don't know if he was referencing that in that line from yesterday or not um or if it was subconsciously impacting and and driving him like a thorn in his side this guilt that was driving him could be yeah. or, i don't know how much emotional energy he had around about saying that quote but it is a very telling quote because um, you know, for Paul as a youngster at 14, um, replaying his karma, which is um, not having the financial means to to do his true work in the world. And now his mom dies and that would jeopardize, oh my God, you know, what are we going to do without our money? Uh, because he's very anxious about money uh, because of his karma. Um, and so we can have empathy for it. And um, it's also said by a 14 year old. So, yeah, you know, it's innocent, you know, what he was saying. And, and also um, it might be a defense mechanism, a guardedness about feeling the pain. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he's looking at things pragmatically, you know, trying to be a grown up, you know, to show his dad and his brother, you know, we're going to survive, you know, rather than being like, oh, my God, my heart is broken. My mom just died. Yeah. It might have just been a, a macho posturing to try to appear strong. And so, so much then of what occurred for Paul was a breakdown into the true feelings. And that's his gift. His beauty was being able to deepen emotionally and write songs that register emotionally at a broad collective level. Like Hey Jude, which is all about condolence for Julian Lennon because his parents were divorcing. Let it be stirs emotion. I, I tell you, I can't listen to let it be that often because I generally cry when I listen to that song. Mm. It, it touches me very deeply and a few other Paul songs as well. So he did. He did deepen. But as a child, 
I think he was defended. He didn't want to feel. Um, and he was more pragmatic about things. All right. So do you want to take this into a Mary McCartney discussion? Let's talk more about Mary. All right. So, so, so tell, tell me about her as the, the role that she's playing and like, what does her chart say? So, so you mentioned that, that Paul's karma was to become this fully realized musician without having like financial uh, things get in his way. What, what was her karma? Like what, what was her life purpose with this Mary McCartney incarnation of her oversoul? If we put it in those terms. Okay. So Mary McCartney is um, this incredible figure. Um, I would say in my own process with this book, uh, she would be the figure who has impacted me more than anyone else. Hmm. Um, Learning about her, having um, broader awarenesses, um, experientially connected to her. Um, she, I call the orchestrator of the spiritual orchestrator of this whole thing. Um, she was a visionary. Um, she was a very mature soul. She was almost kind of nun-like. And if you look at pictures of her, did you say nun? nun? Yeah. Like, like a, a nun. nun. Yeah. Like she, she has a very monastic or spiritual uh, type of background. And that's what her chart says too. Uh, lots of humility, service, uh, very pure, uh, very different than Julia Lennon, as we talked about last time. But here's the thing about Mary's chart is that uh, it was all about uh, bringing all of her inspirational, spiritual attunement her selflessness, you know, she was a a nurse. Her chart was all about learning how to be a writer. Hmm. And specifically, I'm not making this up. Paperbacks? A romantically oriented writer. And this signature that she has in her chart about becoming a romantically oriented writer, bringing spirituality, bringing inspiration, bringing love, bringing compassion, bringing a message, specifically connects with Paul, specifically connects with the Beatles chart, and overwhelmingly dramatically connects with the astrology going on in May of 1965. What what are the aspects of her chart that tell that story? Her North Node in Gemini conjunct Juno, which is about romance. So Juno and Gemini, romantic writer. And that is exactly on what I call the Beatles signature. It's exactly hits off in Paul's chart. And then the Titanic event of the whole story was on May 30th, 1965, what I call the big Gemini eclipse, which was at nine degrees Gemini, exactly on Mary's North Node. So what happened for the big Gemini eclipse, May 30th, 1965, is Paul and his girlfriend, Jane, went on a vacation, a holiday, to the coast of Portugal. They were there, got there around May 27th, a few days before the event, and were there through the event. And it just so happens 
that the coast of Portugal, and I show this in the book, is exactly on a line for using locational astrology. It was on his Mercury line there, his Mercury Midheaven line, which is about connecting his mind, his writings, his intellect to above the Midheaven. So the big eclipse happens on May 30th. It hits off Mary McCartney's central intention to be a romantically oriented writer. It hits off Paul's chart in the same regard. And Paul intuited the words to yesterday during that vacation. He hmm. came up with the melody before. He had so he the was, melody. Was he in Portugal when, when he woke up in the morning no. and he had that on his head? No, that's, that's the melody. Hmm. He had that before. He had the melody for months and he actually had placeholding words, uh, scrambled eggs. Oh yeah, scrambled eggs. Yeah. And I didn't have any words, so I called it scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs, oh my baby, how I love you. Oh my baby, how I love your legs. So he already had the melody, he didn't wait, have wait, the words. Wait, 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 so it was scrambled eggs. Oh my baby, how I love your legs. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm glad he changed it. <laughs> And so at the big Gemini eclipse, the time where Mary McCartney's chart was most dramatically, emphatically hit off with her intentions to be a romantically oriented writer, that's when he gets the words to yesterday. And so out of all of the astrology in the whole book, we're talking years and years and years, that moment, not just because of yesterday, but the way it hits all the charts. It hits the Beatles charts. It hits Mary's chart, Paul's, Julia Lennon's, everything. That was the titanic shift into their mature works. Hmm. Their shift into being receptive intuitively to basically have these collaborations. That was the moment. And so Mary's chart. And, and kind of their, their flexibility as a band to adjust because it, if I remember right, that was a, that was a weird song for them to do because they would they would all go off stage. Paul McCartney would come on just with a guitar, and it was the only time that they performed like that at that time. At and that time, yeah. there was talk about having it be a Paul McCartney solo song, mm. um, but then they decided no, it will be a Beatles song, and I'm glad they kept it as a Beatles song. And then later on, after that, others uh, did solo. Uh, Julia is just John with a guitar. Mm. And there's other solo um, performances in, in Beatles uh, in, the, in the catalog. But I know the listeners and you don't have it in front of you to, to look at it. It's all in the book. But the big Gemini eclipse, as I call it, um, was so powerful. It was so resonant to this story. Um, and it hits Mary McCartney's chart. So perfectly. And also that eclipse was conjunct the muse. And so it was the eclipses are breakdown in breakthrough events. If we're not kind of maturing and walking a conscious path, eclipses can be breakdown into challenges. And if we are, then eclipses can be breakthrough. And this was the breakthrough for Paul and Mary. And that eclipse was specifically conjunct the muse the correlating astrological point called Uterp, uh, which is the muse, um, was exactly on her North node. Her intention mm. 
to develop as a romantically oriented writer, specifically the muse at that time. So my view is that this is a collaboration. It's a partnership. You know, obviously it was Paul who was writing the words, but I think it's probably the clearest example of Mary's direct Gemini, meaning writing influence, just like we talked about last time with Across the Universe for Julia. We had the same astrology going on for that. And I was saying that that's probably the clearest example of Julia's message in her actual words. Yesterday, to me, is all Mary. And mm. Paul is just, as he says, I, am I plagiarizing this as somebody else's work? You know, I'm just basically honored enough to bring it to the world. Have you ever heard him talk in any interviews uh, about this kind of connection through dreams, specifically with his mother? Yeah. Um, I had a dream in the 60s where my mom, who died, came to me in the dream and was reassuring me, saying, it's going to be okay. Just let it be. And I went, I felt so sort of great and like, oh boy, it's going to be great. You know, she gave me the positive word. So I woke up and I went, what What was that? What'd she say? Let it be. So I've never heard that. Yeah. That's kind of good, you know. So I wrote the song, Let It Be, but it was her positivity. That's the most beautiful story I've ever heard. Yeah. And yeah. I put it in the book. He says, you know, uh, you know, she came to me and Paul says she for Let It Be, you know, that was the gist of her advice. I don't know exa exactly what the words she said to me were, but that was the gist, you know, Let It Be. Uh, he talks all the time these days about connecting with John and George through the veil. Mm. And, you know, this is something that is, you know, becoming quite a theme with McCartney. Mm. And this is what his chart is all about and what his contract with Mary. So the whole thing became realized at the big Gemini eclipse, May 30th, 1965. To me, it's the, it's, if I were to choose one day in the whole chronology, that is the biggest turning point. It's, it's that day. And it's that song for yesterday. Interesting. Cool. Well, I, I, I want to I wanna ask you more questions about Mary McCartney, but first I'm going to plant a seed that we'll explore in a future episode because w when, I, when I listened to that and I was thinking about Paul, like I, I kind of have this sense that he's not, he's not going to be around much longer. <laughs> you know, well, like, we hope he is. Yeah, he's, he's, he's getting up there. And I thought, you know, between him and Ringo, who, who is most likely to go first? <laughs> and I, I kind of think that Paul will go first. And I, and I, and, and I'll save this for like when we really focus on Ringo, but I, I love this idea of the symmetry of their, you know, like their, their ages and their influences that, you know, Ringo really is the oldest uh, yes. of them. And he's really this foundation. The band wasn't what it was until he joined and right. really, you know, like his influence and grounding them all together and tying them in this, this like, I think we talked about this earth. Yeah, and we're uh, going to do a whole Ringo show eventually. Yeah. Because I have a lot to say on Ringo's importance. Good. Yeah, because I started saying that. I think that would be a beautiful symmetry and end to at least all four of them being alive, that Ringo came first. He went out last. He was the one that kind of enveloped the whole thing. You know, he's the bookmarkers uh, or whatever on either side of it. But um, yeah, so, so a, a little something for future episodes there. Yeah, well. You know, some people, I'm, I'm joking, of course, think that Paul already is dead. 
you remember when you were with the Beatles and you were supposed to be dead and uh, there's all these clues that like uh, you'd play some song backwards and it'd say like Paul is dead and uh, everyone thought that you were dead or something and, yep. yeah. uh, that was um, a hoax right <laughs> Yeah, I, I wasn't really dead. Right. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. And in fact, I talk about that in the book a, a bit. It's like, um, you know, this is a little bit of a tangent, but let's do it anyway since it came up. You know, what I say about the whole Paul is, is dead thing is say that I believe it's 100% erroneous. It's, it's completely fabricated. Um, and the reason why is... Well, the astrology for the ongoing biography of Paul McCartney matches, you know, in lockstep. How are you, you going to find someone who resembles him, has the same level of musical talent, which less than 0.00001% of people on the planet would, and, his, and the replacement figure's astrology is going to match McCartney's biography in lockstep precision for decades? No. Uh, Paul did not die. And I hope he stays around for, for a while. I don't like talking about people's death. I, I, I want them to, to, to stay around and, and bring their gifts further. Cool. Yeah. Well, we don't have to talk about death, Eric. Well, there's plenty of death in the book. That was one of the surprising <laughs> things, how much death is a part of the Beatles story. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. I mean, and the major themes, uh, death is one of the five major themes of the whole thing. Yeah. So, so what, like, let, let's get back to Mary McCartney then and the, the different influence points that you see in this collaboration. Cause, cause for you to make the claim that she's the big spiritual architect behind it all, like you've got that eclipse around the Portugal holiday, but what, what are the other things that you see that, that uh, lead you to this conclusion that she's the big architect? Well, it's not necessarily from the astrology. It's, it's just because she was a far more mature soul. Mm. Um, and Julia was, as we talked about last time, was, was more impetuous and youthful and, you know, a little bit wild and unsteady, uh, just simply more woundedness. Um, where Mary is, you know, a real sense of grace and divinity and selflessness and, uh, and my understanding of her is just a lot more poise. Um, well, it would, it would seem like because she was a nurse, she cared about healing people. It seemed like, you know, if, if, if we're looking for uh, influences of Mary McCartney on Paul McCartney's work and message that uh, Eleanor Rigby, you know, look at all the lonely people, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, that this idea of like, look, look at these people around that need some kind of healing would be in line with a Mary yeah, McCartney. Yeah, she's very much so. But here's the way that I discuss the differences between these collaborations. Yeah. Um, like we talked about last time, uh, John and Julia is far more of a brilliant metaphysical reach, um, mystical poetry, um, mind-blowing synchronicities, um, even bringing in... Uh, in my view, in my interpretation, uh, losing the sky with diamonds points to astrology. Uh, John and Julia um, 
you know, just their metaphysical reach was astounding. And they're more philosophical, more blatantly metaphysical, more Aquarian to use the astrology language. And Paul and Mary is much different. It's more personal. It's more um, intimate um, of what they were writing together in their collaboration. And, and all of the major Paul Mary collaborations, in my view, um, reveal their story. Um, they, it reveals their bond. Like I mentioned, Lady Madonna reveals part of their bond. Eleanor Rigby, it's complicated, also does that. A Fool on the Hill does that. And Penny Lane all do that. So those are four major Paul Mary collaborations at the peak, at the transcendence period. And I discuss them as multi-leveled stories that have um, personal and literary meaning is that Paul and Mary were far more literary. I mean, you read Eleanor Rigby, the lyrics and Penny Lane and Fool on the Hill, you get a real sense of character. You get a sense of more just literary focus and value where John and Julia are talking about, you know, um, far-reaching metaphysical concepts that's not so personal, uh, not so literary as a story, and as poetic. But we've got a lot of characters that uh, Paul and, in my view, Mary were collaborating with. Uh, really memorable characters, actually. Eleanor Rigby's a memorable character. Um, even The Fool on the Hill, uh, it doesn't have a name, but that's a character that we can identify with and it we can have, you know, a sense of. But he also had an intention to become a visionary and an intuitive, and he was phenomenal. Um, incredible intuition that he brought in, and he was so receptive, and I believe that he was collaborating at whatever degree of consciousness, I don't know, with Mary but he was, he became an incredible conduit yeah. as much as John. Um, I'm, I'm equally impressed by what Paul did yeah. as I am with what John did Yeah. At a, at, at a visionary level. So, so as I said, I said this before, and it's one of my favorite lines in the book is that Paul McCartney was a performer learning how to be a visionary. And John yeah. was a visionary learning how to be a performer. Right. And they synthesized in that way and created visionary entertainment. Yeah. So John had natural abilities that were more innate than Paul, but Paul had a major central intention to become a visionary. And he did. Yeah. And yesterday and that event in 65 was the turning point of him becoming a visionary. And then he couldn't stop writing about it. I've just seen a face calling. She just keeps on calling. Um, I'll dream of her tonight. And all of these songs that point directly to, this theme, uh, he couldn't stop writing about it. So, you know, to me, the, the biggest surprise of this book is that some people might hear this and say, oh, well, this sounds like it's out of left field. You know, they're, they're connecting with their dead mothers in their dreams. But once you start reading the lyrics from that perspective, yeah, they couldn't stop writing about it. It was everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So in, in, in wrapping up today's discussion, is, is there anything that we talked about that you think 
needs a little bit more clarification before we put a bow on it. Oh, I was hoping to talk a little bit more about a couple more songs. Then let's do it. Okay. Penny Lane. All right. Let's talk about Penny Lane. <laughs> yeah. Tell me. Well, there's, there's certain songs. Um, in, in my four-year process of writing this book, I've been a Beatles fan my whole life since age four. And I've known their catalog, you know, my entire life. But I never studied it. I never deepened and put this much time and effort and focus uh, with the astrology and reading all these other books and immersing myself. And there's a few songs that have emerged for me that are so important and significant and mind blowing and, you know, just really such a central part of what this whole story is about. And close to the top of the list would be Penny Lane. Um, to be honest, I always prefer Strawberry Fields over Penny Lane. And I don't put any of my own likes or dislikes into the book. It's completely neutral. I'm just doing that a little bit more on the podcast here just to be more myself. But Penny Lane is so thick with spiritual meaning. There's so much going on here that we might actually need to do a show that dedicates a huge chunk of time to it because it's that thick. But right. the appetizer for it is that this song is um, not only mentions Mary, uh, a nurse who is selling poppies uh, from the tray, um, but it's it's uh, it registers in multiple threads. Um, it's a it's a flute song. Um, it's a solar song. Uh, and it's all about having clarity of uh, perspective to see things from uh, broader awareness is a theme in that song. But at any rate, what that song is basically doing is just like John and Strawberry Fields, where he's looking at his past from a different perception in the present in order to, because John says, I was misunderstanding all I saw. You know, it was a dream. And Paul's doing the same thing but he uses the metaphor of the play. Mm. Uh, the nurse says, thinks that she's in a play and she is anyway, is a line in the song. Yeah. So those are the two, the dream or the play. And looking at his childhood experiences, you know, all of the things he mentions, the firemen, you know, the barber, you know, running in from the rain, you know, the kids, you know, it's all of these little images from youth that he is now looking at differently. And that is the metaphysical kind of layer of the song is that what we thought was happening was not really happening. That was a interpretation. That was a dream. That was our own version of events. And the whole point astrologically of that song, I call it cleansing the window of perception is the, is the heading for, for the essay is that from broader spiritual awakening, we can look at life differently. What we thought was happening was not really what happened. So applying that to Mary's death, Paul thought that that was an unredeemable tragedy that would only reinforce sadness. It was, there's nothing positive at all. Um, but the meaning of, the astrology is to say, look again, is that this might have been a scene 
in the play. Mary might have been in on it. It might be what she was communicating. Mm. The nurse offering the, the shift of perception, the poppies on the tray to see things differently, that this might have actually been, you know, a sole contract mm. to go through all of this in order to reunite and have this collaboration and work through the emotions and grow spiritually together. And I never lost you. And so many songs that Paul writes that love is never dies, that we never were a part if you're a part of me and all that stuff yeah. that he was always connected to her. And Penny Lane is when this is becoming a lot more overt and to shift our understanding of the past, which is a very important spiritual lesson is what that song is in strawberry fields. Again, John and Paul parallel each other every step of the way. Mm. So, and they're cool songs too. Yeah, I would say um, that another example um, going on here that you can see is Day in the Life, um, mm. which is a fascinating song. And um, the reason why I bring it up uh, and we can close with this uh, real brief is Paul's section, the middle section of Day in the Life where he, um, you know, the whole woke up, fell out of bed thing. Yeah. Um, you know, he made a bus in seconds flat and then he goes upstairs in the bus and somebody spoke and I went into a dream. Ah, that whole thing. Yeah. Well, that's the whole Beatles thing mm. is going into the dream. He rises up, he goes upstairs in the bus and he goes into an alter state and somebody is speaking to him that that triggers a dream. He also, he also smoked before they spoke. Yeah, somebody. He, he had a smoke. He doesn't say what it was he was smoking. No, he doesn't. Smoking, but but right. then he went into a dream. He did say, I got to get you into my life a little earlier when he was talking about smoking something. But uh, yeah, but, you know, I don't know if that's a marijuana reference because, um, you know, you're allowed to smoke cigarettes on uh, public transportation in the 60s in England. And it probably is just a smoke a cigarette. May, but it could maybe. have a double meaning. Well, they, they do say at the end of the song, I'd love to turn you on. And they knew exactly what it was that they oh, were they saying. Oh, they knew. There people. could be that double meaning. All, all, I'm, all I'm saying is that there were different ways that they went into that dream state. And, uh, you know, the, the, the consciousness expansion experience with marijuana, LSD, other yeah. things that they did. But regardless of any drug reference, just <laughs> the point of rising up, opening your consciousness yeah. And hearing words, somebody spoke and going into a dream state. And then we have that, of course, with Let It Be, yeah. which is receiving words of wisdom. Lady Madonna goes into an alter state to hear music in her head. Um, and then John does it plenty too. I'm Only Sleeping yeah. is all about his intuitive stuff. You mentioned Gotta Get You Into My Life. Also, yeah. fixing a hole. I go into my room when my mind is wandering. You know, Paul talks about being an intuitive visionary all the time. And um, and I'm just saying that he, you know, all of these references might be when he's connecting with his yeah. mother, Mary, who gives him words of wisdom like the fool on the hill. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, that that middle section of A Day in the Life has always reminded me of Another Day. You know, that song that he did. I think sure. I think that was with Wings. Um, every day she takes a morning bath, she wets her hair, you know, it's just kind of like following this mundane, you know, character through their day. Do, do, do you see, 
and I, I know in your book, you only focus on the, the Beatles years, but yes. in any of Paul's solo stuff after the Beatles, do you see I a similar collaboration it. with Mary? I haven't researched that. Um, I have uh, some of his solo work, but the thing about McCartney's is he was so prolific. He yeah. created so much that I have only scratched the surface, to be honest, um, with his wings or his solo catalog. And due to my preoccupation with just the Beatles, I intentionally yeah. don't bring that stuff in. And I didn't spend my time researching it because it, it wouldn't be part of the book. Yeah. I did think about um, doing a sequel to this book called Beyond the Beatles. That mm. would be their solo careers. I might do that. But you know what? My you could call it the secular dimension of the Beatles, <laughs> of the well, post Beatles. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I I doubt that I'm actually going to do it because right. to me, the magic, the intention um, to come together, no pun intended, to do what they did is is preeminently Beatlesque. Yeah. And what they did on their own was more about them individually. Um, and it doesn't have that same kind of overarching gestalt of the Beatles themselves. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's relevant, it's interesting, but it's, it's not, uh, it's just a different uh, trajectory to, to go down. Um, and I also think, you know, some people may object to me saying this, but I think the real, you know, magic that they did were, was in the Beatles. There's some stuff in their solo works that is really amazing and compelling and, and really cool. But to me, the synthesis of the four of them, the magic of the Beatles goes beyond what any of them did in their solo works is, is my view. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that as well. All right. So in, in wrapping up today's episode, then Eric, what, what uh, words of wisdom do you have to whisper <laughs> <laughs> to our listeners? In, the words uh, I regarding... whisper into this microphone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in regards to Mary McCartney or, or anything that we talked about today, really. Um, I would just, like I said, maybe, you know, with the Julia show is, um, you know, I, I just feel like something really happened to me writing this book where I didn't, I honestly did not have a single thought that this book would have anything to do with Julia or Mary. That was not on my mind for a second. And then when I got into this project and I did all the research and I studied the astrology and their charts and how everything ties in, um, I feel a sense of almost um, allegiance to them. Um, not necessarily responsibility, but care um, for what they did. Um, I, I respect uh, Mary McCartney and Julia for their roles in this story um, in, a, in a very deep way. And I think they are the unsung heroines of this whole thing and their contributions were can't be measured it can't even be proven but the astrology is so unbelievably revealing and emphatic about it i couldn't design it to tell the story any clearer that i believe that that both mary and julia um have an irreplaceable an extraordinarily valuable role in what we understand uh, as Beatles music, uh, specifically in the transcendence period when they were collaborating. Because the stuff before, the early stuff and the stuff and Abbey Road and Let It Be back down on the ground at the York, that is less inspired. 
it's good music, but it's not, you know, discussed as collaboration between realms. But the stuff in the peak in the middle period, which I think is the most mind blowing and most fascinating Beatles music, Mary McCartney actually has a lot to do with this. And uh, I feel like it's part of my job, so to speak, to give voice to what she and Julia did because it's, it's that amazing. And yeah. so thank you, Mary, for what you were doing. Uh, I mean, yesterday is the song. I think it's the most, the, the, the one single, you know, song that has the most covers and the most play. It's like the most famous single, like ever. And the fact that if this, if what I'm saying has any merit, then that gives Mary McCartney a pretty important role. So, so you, 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 you were able to identify when you went in and you were doing the research on this book. Okay. There was some collaboration going on. You know, John had Julia as a guide, Paul had Mary as a guide, maybe an orchestrator. Does that make you look at everyone now as having some kind of guide on the other side that they're working with and collaborating with? Do do you feel like you have guides that you well, collaborate and, and you know, and I'm, I'm not an intuitive type. I, I'm a f- intellectual, you know, philosophical astrology guy. I'm not a visionary. I'm not an intuitive, but I connect and have friends and associates who are, and you know, some of them yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and my understanding is that we all have, you know, call what you will, spirit guides, angels, you know, whatever you want to call them. We're in connection with a whole other dimension or dimensions that we're not aware of. And so um, how they assist us and help us and how they collaborate with us, I don't know. I don't know all the mechanisms of it, but I sense that that's real. Um, I've had experiences uh, with others that have illuminated some of this for me. And... um, and this is the next frontier of our collective evolution is to have more of a relationship and a connection with other dimensions. And I, my prayer, my hope is that this book can show you, you know, through all of the astrology of how perfectly it all maps up is that we are in relationship with things that are in another dimension. Um, this is not just something that is, you know, naive and just a wish fulfillment or um is that this is real and um and i really believe that um there's a beautiful partnership that happened between mary and paul um in fact i say in the book that the paul mary astrology out of any two people in the entire book they have the most striking the most compelling the most kind of mind-blowing an irrefutable astrology that shows you their connection. It is so, it maps up so eloquently and so perfectly that it's beyond random chance. It is so striking. So I've come to really, you know, love and respect Mary. I tip my hat to her for her her role in this project. And I do believe that she has co-created some of the most amazing music that the world has ever known. Talking about the spiritual dimension of the Beatles. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Dimension of the Beatles podcast with Eric Myers and me, Glenn Ostland. 
If you like what you just heard, please give us a five-star rating and write a nice review for us on iTunes. You can also like our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Look for Eric's book, The Spiritual Dimension of the Beatles, coming sometime in early 2021. And while you're waiting, why not go check out my book, Bathing with God, which is available on Amazon.com. Or you could go listen to my other really great podcast, also called Bathing with God. And hey, if you've got a question that you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, find us at our Facebook page or simply email us at spiritualbeetles at gmail.com. That's spiritualbeetles at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, because in the end, the love you take is equal... You know the rest. Them? Next, please. Get one of us for your trousers. Get one of us for your You feel so far away. It's like I never knew. And when I called your name, where were you? It seems like such a long, long time And since I had you here with me When you're so far away It's like I never knew But if I make believe I can see you But if you're only in my dreams How can I know you're really here with me Till I see you When I see you And since you went away I'm standing here alone But if I just make believe You might be here with me It feels like I'm just fooling myself I can't think of anything else Till I feel you When I feel you
Heavy fighting near Blackpool, Mrs. G. Evans of Solihull was gradually injured. She wants, for all the people in hospital, plenty of jam jars by the Ravelers. And here it is. <laughs> 